Hey everyone, uh, welcome back to the Bent Method podcast. I'm Keelan, we got Jared, it's and me. then we got our first guest, very exciting. Uh, his name is Phil Jenkinson. He has been a mentor of mine, I guess, yeah, I could call him a second dad. Former um, landlord of mine. Former landlord oh, of Jared. Oh, that's right. I almost forgot about that. How could you forget? Yeah, different time. We'll talk about that. <laughs> uh phil has also been a former moto parent his son no longer races and is in the army um that's also exciting stuff but uh phil uh works in the environment and renewables renewables and environmental industry that's right we won't really go too far into detail with that but um you're also an entrepreneur you betcha Investor, do you call yourself an angel investor or what would you call yourself? I call myself a savvy investor. Ooh, yeah. Sophisticated. School of hard knocks and investing. That's what I refer it to as. I see. That's right. Well, Phil's always been a, uh, he's kind of guided me along throughout, throughout the years with uh, not so much moto, but uh, more so my life and and uh, my finances and just anything that uh that i've maybe felt lost with he's kind of been there for me so uh uh we felt he'd be a good good addition to the pod and and has some valuable insight so. excellent thanks for having me guys yeah i've known you guys since you were like eight nine years old a long time i've seen a lot of things Yes, you just grow up through, grow up as young men and racers, and it's uh, yeah, it's been a journey. But you've been there, uh, right there with us. Yeah, it's been cool. And I, I mean, I don't get to the track. Geez, I haven't been around the track for for five or six years now. Um, but I, I watch motocross. I, I watch the standings. I see what's going on. And when I, when you guys are doing your nationals i i try to uh um you know follow you and see what's going on and who's winning and who's crashing and and i always have my fingers crossed that nobody's getting hurt because the people that know me and seen me around the track for years know that i was pretty relentless when it came to safety and probably call me a pain in the neck to some people because i was never a racer myself never i never ever raced but I always seem to be there for the big crashes and uh, that bothered me sometimes. I think you're being a little modest though. Like I think you're a little more connected than you give yourself credit and you've been a supporter of mine for at least uh, that one year and we were pretty well connected. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think you're a little, a little more connected and have an eye on the sport a little more than you give yourself credit. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I mean, once, once my son stopped racing, you know, I, I just kind of followed you guys and I uh, didn't, didn't go to the track and didn't, uh, um, didn't, you know, just wasn't around. And, uh, uh but I, I, I always hope that the, especially here in Calgary, that, uh, the Wild Rose motocross track is always there and, and always kind of had my ear to the city of Calgary, um, goings on. Um, I have some insight there to some development things around the city. And, and I uh, was always just curious to 
if it, you know, make sure nothing involved that motocross track, because that's a great place to be. And, uh, I made some great friends and had a lot of good times over there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's definitely a great outlet for, uh, no, no different than going to a hockey rink or a soccer field. It's it's just another outlet for kids to kind of grow up and, and mature and, and find themselves. And that was definitely the case for the both of us. And, uh, but we were kind of chatting a little bit before we, uh, came live here, yeah. but you were, you mentioned that there is some, some pretty crucial people that, uh, played a, played a part in, in keeping the track running. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I did a little stint on, on the board of directors. Um, uh, you know, I helped them to get a water truck one year and, and, uh, but the, the core group of people that are over there are amazing. Um, I, I don't know who's on the board now. Um, and whoever those people are, I, I mean, I'm sure they, uh, have a high level of passion and, and contribute, uh, as, as everybody does. But, you know, when you talk about people like Dustin Heikinen, um, like David Pinkman, um, those guys, that place wouldn't be there without them. Um, and, and, uh, the, as I was kind of stepping away from the, the sport, like when, when Brody left and, uh, the new people coming in probably have no real idea of the amount of work and sacrifice that, that those guys put in and, and not to take away from other people that I, that I haven't mentioned. I mean, anybody who's, who's been on the board, um, you know, they all deserve a pat on the back, but you know, Dustin Hakkinen has lived and breathed that place since he was a kid and, and David Pinkman and, um, you know, Chris Bonneau, who's no longer with us, uh, you know, people shouldn't forget about those people. And, uh, they, uh, you should really have a big plaque over there or something with their picture on it. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Like, like there's been, you know, that track for me, I've met, I've met people there that are going to be my lifelong friends now. And so is my son. And, and I wouldn't have met those people if that track wasn't there. And I hope that the city of Calgary continues to let it be there. It's important. Uh, it's important for families. It's important for, for you guys. Um, and, I, and I'm sure you could tell this story, you know, about dozens of other tracks around the country in North America about those people that are in the background that really never get the credit until something goes wrong. And then, oh, well, he didn't do this and he didn't do that. But, you know, you got to remember um, the good that people do. Um, and I'm not quite sure everybody knows that. Yeah. And uh, I think we're, we take it for granted big time. Like, we're so lucky with that facility we have right downtown. We probably have the biggest community of riders in the whole country. And I think, well, lots of times guys like to bitch about the track or this and that, but we are super lucky to have a groom track, two groom tracks every day. And uh, I think we take that for granted a little bit. Yeah, right. In the center of the city. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, 10, yeah. 15 minute drive after work. And, you don't see that yeah. anywhere else, not even in like California. Really, like you can't, you can see downtown from the track. It's crazy. Yeah. 
it's uh yeah it's definitely a world-class facility for sure and uh yeah i think you're definitely right there like i think with saying that uh there's some people that probably or a lot of people that really don't know how much has been invested into keeping that place going and i think like as i get older and the more kind of or feedback and knowledge i get from from i guess the the elderly uh members around there it's yeah. it's definitely it's been a journey and even i can remember back to like younger amateur days when the track was almost being shut down for noise bylaws and yeah and or yeah. Uh, the city threatening to mow it down and we've yeah. had we had a whole fund in in the backup to go yeah. buy another property it's yeah it's it's kind of wild that it's actually still there it, it could be a golf course at this point well you know and i i got a group of guys together and and we thought maybe i oh, will find a piece of land around the city somewhere and we'll go in on it together and it's a tough thing like it you could throw all kinds of money at that and it'll never happen because the communities outside, they, they don't want it. And um, some of those reasons are valid, um, but you can't just throw money at something like replacing the Wild Rose motocross track. Yeah. You, you can't, the money's, money's might not fix that issue if the city rears its head. And uh, it's, and I hope it never happens. I really do. I mean, there's another guy that uh, put a tremendous amount of work in there, and that's Shane Upshaw and um, and Landon King. Yeah. Those guys, you know, they were passionate about ma and making that place. Is, and, I, and I understand now, like, you know, Charlie Johnson is, you know, does a phenomenal job of the, the track prep there. And, and um, there's so many people that I, I should mention that uh, – there's so many people that have come and put their heads together to make that place work. Um, I remember one time there was some noise complaints from a guy um, across McLeod Trail, and I drove over there and parked in front of his house and got a bunch of guys on 450s to go over the finish line jump, and, and I was trying to hear. And then, like, the C train goes by, and it's louder than anything at the motocross track or the red light on the cloud trail changes and the cars go by and all you guys jumping over the finish line jump is drowned out by. So, I mean, I don't buy the noise thing. Um, yeah. Even just Deerfoot trail. Yeah, exactly. From Ogden, you can hear Deerfoot trail over the bike. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing you know, they, they do a great job of is, uh, you know, the dust mitigation. And, um, I, I, I would assume you can't start bikes on Saturday mornings before, Nine, a certain time like nine, so nine or ten maybe yeah so i mean those things have been in place for a long time but and you know i'll, I'll go back to like dave and and dave pinkman and dustin hiking and dealing with those issues um on a regular basis and the average guy that pulls in you know and his toy hauler and all his stuff and like pays his 500 bucks to ride and if it's not quite perfect he's all up in the air well slow down and take a look around and and ask some questions and you know brush yourself up on the history to see some of the stuff these guys have done and uh you know um 
I, I hope that doesn't ever get forgotten. Yeah. But like, so with a lot of that being said, like, do you think like it's come a long way, but like in your opinion, what, what, what do you think would maybe change a bit of that stigma? That's like, it's been such a long road and we've come a long way with the public and, and the people outside of the sport. But yeah. What do you think would like electric bikes, like obvious, obviously, but that's, that's so far away. And well, even dust a, is a problem, right? Like people complain about the dust. Yeah. But yeah. it's, it's like, it's, yeah, I guess it's, it's, it's a tough sport as yeah. is, but there's, I'm sure there's little things as a community, like, I mean, that's as a racer and as I've matured over the years, that's something I pay attention to is it's not just about me anymore. Like I'm, I'm trying to be a leader and an ambassador for the sport and want, I want this, I want to see the sport grow. And, but there's, so you like, you try to pay attention to what's, what's going to help with our public image and what's also going to pull the public in. And I mean, like you've you've expressed to me in the past at least that uh there's some things that you feel uh are kind of lacking with the sport but um w on that note like with just like the negative stigma about our sport in general like is there what what comes to mind well i i guess when you say negative stigma like what do you mean by negative st stigma because to me, the negative part of the sport is it's expensive. It's crazy expensive. Mm -hmm. um, I guess, well, for now, I'm saying like that that's a given for sure. Yeah. But like with, uh, I guess like at first glance, before like, even, before any, or before anybody looks at the price tag on a bike, like at first glance, like what do you think turns people away from our sport because like like we said it's been a it's been a tough road for the track coming up like there's the noise and there's the dust and right but right. do you think like injuries or it's i think i think some families think that the sport's just too dangerous for their kids and um and they stay away from it i, I don't know how you're going to change that um some families just feel that way other families are more open to let their kids try different things. And hey, if a kid falls over and breaks his arm, well, hey, you know, he can, he can fall over and, you know, he can fall down the stairs and break his leg. Yeah. And then you got yeah. my dad cutting casts off when I was 10, yeah. and 11 years old. So That's right. It goes complete 180, right? Well, yeah. You know, I've going to the track, I'd always, have, when I'd see the ambulances come and stuff and, Sometimes it was minor and there's been a few that have been major, right? And um, I'd always feel sort of like, ah, geez, you know, all the ambulances rolling in out of the track, the optics of that are bad. I hate to see you know, it. how can we cut cut back on guys getting hurt? Like you slow the tracks down or the, the 450, they just too much bike, um, right? For, some, for most people. I think for the average guy, right? probably. And then, you know, when my son played high school football, you know, I go to the football games. Yeah, there's just as many ambulances packing people out of the out of the football field. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I, when I look at it from the outside now, I think of a family with a couple kids, a couple boys, a couple girls, whatever it is. 
um, want to go buy a couple 250Fs, right? That's 20 grand, Yeah. right? That's a lot of money. So it's a, it's a big investment for a family. I mean, I think it's a good investment. I think it's a good group of people. I think it's a great place for kids to be. Um, and I think I've heard many people say, you accept um, the danger of what happens. Could happen, right? And some guys barely get hurt. Some guys get really hurt. But I think you could say that about um, lots of other sports too yeah. as well. Yeah, right? well, like a lot of times guys will have major crashes and they'll be they'll walk away from it fine, but then you tip over in a corner and you break your arm. Right. And that could happen doing anything. Well, yeah. Like, I mean, Brody got hurt. Yeah. Tumbled with a 450 and it fell on his chest and, and it burnt him. And Remember that. he's scarred for life. But... He argued with me, <laughs> imagine that, before he went to ride about putting his chest protector on. <laughs> and, oh, Dad, I don't need it. It's hot. It's 30 <laughs> degrees. You know, uh, um, 10 minutes later, um, I think it was uh, Darren Collins who was out there and pulled the bike off him, who happened to be out there riding. And, and probably, and he did. He saved him from being hurt worse because mm -hmm. he was there. Um, and I know that Brody was always thankful for that, but, uh, you know, I, I look at racing, what's negative about racing is the finances and something that I've embraced in the, in the last, especially the last three or four years is change and trying to look at things in a different light, um, I, uh, I refer to it as the Phil's disruptive factor. <laughs> disruptive. Disruptive, right? Teachers at school called me disruptive. And when you look at the definition now of disruptive, my teachers were all wrong about me. That wasn't disruptive behavior. That was thinking outside the box and shaking up the norm. And I don't think... In society in general, we do that enough. Um, you don't have to be aggressive and rude and challenging people in their face all the time, but just be disruptive. Yeah. And I think the motocross industry needs a big shakeup. And a lot of people are going to shake their head at me when I say this. Um, I look at a business and I look to see where it can be efficient. And motocross is a business. For it to be successful, it needs to be efficient. And I pull into the track, and there's a $400,000 semi pulling um, a 240-pound motorcycle to 10 races across the city, across the country. Mm -hmm. And I've never been able to figure out... Um, why teams do that now people say oh it's the show and the big trucks and all the advertising and and yeah. that's you know and it's that's what brings the people in well i you know i i don't agree with that i think that these teams should be racing out of sprinter vans and uh with less people 
paying the riders more money. More money to go around for everybody else. And and exactly. And, you know, you look at how many, you know, kids you could support coming up that are loyal, that are going to stay in the game um, if they get a little bit more help. Yeah. Now, I'm sure someone's going to crack out a spreadsheet and say, no, Phil, you're wrong. And this semi is pays for itself. And, but, you know, I've had truck drivers work for me. I've, I've had trucks before. There's nothing about them that are efficient. Truck drivers are expensive. The good ones, uh, because, uh, they're hard to find now. And, you know, I, I just can't figure out why the industry um, doesn't shake that up a bit and put more money into the riders and the programs, the amateur programs. Because I, I, I mean, I don't know for a fact, but I doubt that our amateur programs up here rival like the Team Green or the KTM Not even programs. Close. Not even close. in the states. Well. Why not, right? Is it economies of scale? There's not as many riders here as there, right? But I mean, yeah, that def- I think that definitely plays a factor right. because I mean, our population is so much smaller in Canada, but right. it doesn't mean that we can we can't have a strong community, even though it may, may be small. Yeah, yeah, I just think that uh, motocross in general needs to become more. The sport itself needs to become more efficient. And um, I know when I used to go watch the Nationals, I'd see those trucks in the distance and I'd just be like, what? It makes no sense to me, you know, uh, especially now with these sprinter vans, you know, wrap them in your, your logo. Anybody can yeah. drive it across the country. Or So we did with Sky Racing. It was actually super efficient, had a super nice awning, like looked super professional. Like you don't really need a semi. Yeah. And then, yeah, they just freeze up a lot of your budget to spread around, right? Right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, the Sky Racing rig definitely. It looks good, too. I mean, it's that professional. Was, it's the best-looking sprinter in, in yeah, the yeah. paddock. It might be the only one, but it looks good. But on another note, I did get to ride under a semi this year, and pretty it sweet. was pretty sweet. Luxury. But it's that it luxury is. life now. So let me ask you this question. Would you rather be cool in the big semi? have more salary make some money off of yeah well i mean that's what i was gonna add is it's it's really i was actually like talking to one of my sponsors about this a few days ago and and yeah all the semi really is for is it's it's the ego like it, i mean you can do this do the same job a sprinter can do the same job a semi can right you can so, hire all the same personnel right. you can have the same mechanics or whatever right yeah you're not paying the insurance you are. You're not paying all the well, international fuel tax agreements. You're just you, you know, you, a sprinter. You send a big truck into the shop now, like a semi with a check engine light. You're, you know, you could walk out with a thirteen, fourteen thousand dollar bill. Oh, yeah. and, and you know that. Oh, yeah, I know that. Right? Your dad knows that. Mm-hmm. I know that. Right? And I just think to myself, four miles five miles to the gal right to go to nine races like yeah. guys 
And and I'm sure there's I know I know one guy in particular is going to be listening to this. He's going to be shaking his head at me and he's like, "Don't know what you're talking about." And I'm like, "Well, maybe I don't." But I'm a fan that's walked through that park for 12 years or longer. And every year I'm like, all I hear about is racers not making enough money because there's just not enough money to go around. And I look over and there's a NASCAR rake park there. And I'm like, well, guys, shake it up. Right? You know what else? I guess... I like I think another way to look at it too is maybe maybe the manufacturers and all the sponsors look at that like it's a selling feature for the families and the kids to be like wow if like if I make it big I get to go yeah. under there like it's not as exciting yeah. to go under a sprinter less because that's just what you know right if you if all you knew yeah. was a bunch of sprinter vans that looked super clean and professional then I don't know if it'd be much different. Absolutely. Yeah, right. that's true. So right, it, Jared. Right? Yeah. And that's the whole thing about change, right? And I can talk about this now because I've changed my life like big time. I drive an electric car. I live in the smallest place I've ever lived in in my life. Um, and I am the happiest I've ever been. And what, what did you change from? Oh, dude, I was, I, I was all over the place. I had, I, I, you know, expensive cars and a house that was too big and, and, uh, you know, just all the gear. And I, and I realized one day that, uh, all that stuff was just making me pissed off and it, and it was distracting from what's life's all about. And, uh, it's not important. And and there's people out there. I know there's people out there that are they work hard. They're friend. I know them. They're they're, they're they're friends. They got Corvettes in their garage and they got big houses and they're happy and that's fine. Be happy. But I'm happy doing what I'm doing. And uh, my friends have beat me up a little bit over it. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, they don't quite understand it. But I mean that's just what works for me. And um. um my son's even questioned it a couple of times, but uh, I'm happy. I'm happy. So I, 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 I believe that less is, uh, in a lot of cases, better. Less right? stress, more happiness. You know, simplicity is the ultimate sophistication. Right? Mm -hmm. In my opinion, you know, and we clutter up our lives with so much stuff we don't need and it distracts from... What we really want to do yeah for sure i right. think too it's like it also goes to say like you could say why why fix it if it's not broken but you could also why not challenge it too just to Make see like better. if it is broken because yeah you never really know i call it the phil's disruptive factor right <laughs> shake, yeah. shake it up now i say that i I I listen. I try to listen to everybody, and, and in the past I knew everything. And uh, you know, when you stop listening to everyone, you shortchange yourself. You do, and you don't have to do what people are telling you to do, 
listen to everyone and listen to everyone's experiences and and um, uh, be caring about those experiences. You know, put yourself in other people's shoes sometimes and, and it, it helps you understand things a little better. Right? So a little, a little less emphasis on the rigs, a little more emphasis on the rider. Mm-hmm. Well, you see that in the States, right? Like, I think a lot of the reason the States is so far advanced is because they have, well, obviously they have more population, they have more money to go around, so they have more money to feed the amateur program, and that's what builds it, right? Like, a lot of the, I don't know many amateurs, it's probably maybe two or three that are getting really good sport, and that's able to help them build their program to where it needs to be to go to the pro level. Yeah, you know it, I mean? could, it could still very well be on the same ratio up here as it is down there. It's it maybe just, on a smaller scale. But yeah, maybe we're on a smaller scale, but maybe, yeah, it's just... You take a little money out of the... Yeah, maybe there's just a little too much, like for the amount of, I guess, gross that is in our industry, it's just maybe there's a little too much being invested in in the wrong areas. You know, we've all seen it. And dad goes out and buys big motorhome, big trailer, and and then there's certain expectations on the kid. And if the kid's not living up to those expectations, father-son conflict. See it all the time. All the time, right? And uh, I, I, I did it. Bought big fifth wheel, expensive truck, and and Brody and I took it to a race. He's like, Dad, this is stupid. Right? A year later, I sold it. We bought vans. Right, and we stayed in hotels, and uh, when I think back, some of the best times that uh, we had was uh, sitting in hotel rooms, and uh, just in between races, and we had to, I, I miss that. I don't miss the other. I don't miss the motorhome and the trailer and all that crap. But uh, again, that's just my opinion. For those people that are out there that have it, I'm not, you know, not criticizing you. It just didn't work for me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, I have a pretty funny story about a hotel room with Brody. Uh, I thought maybe he was getting to be a little bit, um, always wanted the nice stuff. And so I was going to fix him, right? And, uh, we went to Raymond. And I thought, we'll go to Lethbridge the night before. We're going to stay in the crappiest hotel I can find, right? <laughs> I don't know. It was like, well, dad, we could stay at this hotel because it's got a pool and those rooms weren't that great. And I don't know how old he was. He was like, like 12, maybe. We had the van and the bikes in the back of the van. So I was like, all right, I'm going to fix them. That's it. Right. Like enough of this. <clears throat> and he was never like, don't get me wrong. He's not like an entitled kid or nothing, but I just saw something coming and I was like, I'm going to be a smart dad here. I got to get this covered off. I, Bought a room. I can't remember the name. I don't know if it was a travel lodge or something. Man, it was a bad hotel, right? Like sixty bucks a night, right? Are you are you leaving a review right now for I'm travel not. lodge? Hotel well, the hotel itself wasn't bad. Like it wasn't bad. It was just a cheap <laughs> hotel and on the wrong side of Lethbridge, right? So uh, there is a wrong side. Anyways, so we pull in and get a bite to eat, go to the room and and uh, fall asleep and. Half hour later, a bunch of Harleys roll in, a bunch of bikers with their girls, and they're partying in the room next door. And Brody's like, sleeps kind of through it for the most part. 
But, you know, night goes on and the bikers leave for the most part, except biker buddy guy and biker buddy girl. And they start doing what bikers do. And uh, woke Brody up and I had to explain to him why that was going on and what it was. And, and uh, yeah. The next weekend, we went to Medicine Hat State. What were they hotel. doing? They were. Uh, I'm immune to all this. Making other bikers, bikers I guess. I don't know. They were doing what do, the thing. What do What do bikers do? They were doing the stuff. You know. I mean, I'm a biker, and I I do burnouts and <laughs> they were wheelies. doing the stuff. They were doing the doing the dirty stuff. You could hear it. You could hear it through the wall. Oh, Brody was, Brody was like, "Dad, what are they doing?" I'm like, oh, "They're wrestling. Don't worry about it. Go back to sleep." <laughs> I do that stuff too. <laughs> yeah. How old was he? He's like. 11 or 12 and nice. and i had to sit there and listen to him like for like two hours right so and, did you uh, regret getting the hotel just to teach him a lesson and the kid slept through the whole thing pretty much so hmm. and uh but yeah so that was our hotel story but so you, rec- for, you, you know, recommend we, travel lodge to yeah you know i remember driving back from california with him and and staying in hotels along the way and you know and He'd do his typical teenager thing and drive for two hours and tell me he was tired. I'd drive for 10 and you know the deal. You guys have done it to your parents, right? No, my parents, I drove the whole way to California one time. Is that right? Yeah. The whole way straight? Uh, Yeah, we drove straight through. I think my dad might have drove for a couple hours. Oh, yeah. But yeah, we were driving a minivan down there and the sway bar, like I don't know what it was, the sway bar or something in it was must have been broken because the thing would just go like this i don't know like anytime you like did a slight turn of the wheel the thing would just be bouncing around yeah we got it looked at and we got that oh yeah this thing is busted yeah that was the time i we went you down there that was another oh, one of my when you camped was, out yeah that was another one of my that was another one of my i'm going to show brody how this is done the tough way and uh we went to the campground keelan was in and we slept in a tent we slept in a tent for like six days or whatever it was yeah and uh Oh, we had a we had a pretty good time. Like, that was good. That's a nice little campground. It is. I was actually, I was thinking about that the other day. Yeah. I lived in a, I called it my tin can. It was yeah. basically a massive fifth wheel. Yeah. And I was one of the spoiled rotten kids that had all the nice stuff, hey, at least for a minute. But hey, don't don't get me wrong. I, I'm not calling kids <laughs> that have that stuff. I'm not calling them spoiled rotten kids. I'm not. That's that's not my intention. What I'm saying is. That stuff didn't work for me. And I realized that's not what racing is. Racing is the, what's what are you doing on the bike? What, what are your what are your ambitions? Mm-hmm. What are your goals? What, what are you lessons are you learning? What do you learn and who like what do you you know not hey old dad, my bed and my toy hauler is not very comfortable. I'm like, what? Shut up. Like get in a tent, right? And uh I guess for I guess for me, like I see it as spoiled rotten and after the fact is when I look back on that, all that stuff is you don't. Yeah. Like, like you said, you don't really need it. No, but I also, I, I don't know. I'd like to think that I appreciated all that stuff because just with the way I was raised and how my parents kind of treated me throughout the, throughout the course of my, my young career. I, I, I feel like I, I didn't take it for granted. Yeah. I think that's just like a part of the sport. Like, to be honest, like if you're racing motocross, you're probably like, you're not, you're pretty well off. It's not a cheap sport to get into. And just cause you have all the stuff doesn't necessarily mean that you're not, they're not, your parents aren't teaching you lessons. Like my dad made sure to teach me lessons, yeah. even though, you know, he was 
spending a good chunk of money going racing. Yeah. No, and, and like that's why I say I want to be real clear about that. Yeah. And I, I just because a kid, you know, steps out of a motorhome with his gear on, that doesn't make him, you know, little Johnny Snot Nose, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just don't. I, I, and the same goes with how we set bikes up. You know, like Brody had some nice bikes with all the bits and pieces and the stuff on. That wasn't him. That was me. That was me saying, oh, I think you need another set of wheels. I don't think I ever changed the tire at the track. Like, you know, I mean, $1,000 or whatever it was back then for another set of wheels. Like, and I think that can be intimidating to some people coming in that don't have a lot of money. And then they see that sort of stuff and they're like, oh, I don't think I could keep up with this. Mm-hmm. Right. And, um, you know, and. And people do get themselves into trouble financially because of racing. There's people out there. There's I've seen people get divorced over it. You know, I've seen families that have divorced because one, you know, the, the one side of the family wants to take it to this level, and the other side of the family is good having it right here. Well, that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. And and then poof, I've seen it. Mm-hmm. And it probably it, happens more than you think. Too. But you know what? It happens in other sports too. Yeah. You know, I grew up playing hockey and I saw it in hockey. Um, I know like friends of mine's kids are in hockey and, and it, it, if you let it, it can happen anywhere. And I think you have to keep it grounded. You got to keep things on the, on the, at the right level. And, uh, um, you know, you, you go back to saying what you're about having the fifth wheel in California. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember walking through that campground and that lady stopped. And I don't know if you remember this the lady stopped me and said, is, is that your son? And I said, yeah, he's, he's sleeping in the fifth wheel. I'm sleeping in the tent. And, uh, <laughs> and I said, no, it's, it's not my son. And she says, he's just such a nice young man. And every day he comes back from the track and he's washing his bikes and he cooks his food and he just is nice, polite young guy. So, I mean, you know, you weren't a snot nosed kid in a fifth wheel and, you know, and uh, and because I've known both you guys from a very young age, I know your dads. I know what they're all about. Mm-hmm. I, there's not you guys. There, I know what's going on. Like there's been, there's nothing easy. There's nothing easy about working with your father, and and um, that father son relationship is tough enough. Um, and then you throw work into the mix, and uh, it can be a handful. Mm-hmm. You know. I can. I bet you I can play a scenario out that's happened to you without you even telling me. So Jared's a welder, right? Yeah. He's working in the shop to put in five, 12 hour days. And then he's coming home and he's training and he's looking after his place and doing all the stuff. And on Friday at like four o'clock, Jared starts to stop for five minutes to lean on something to text his wife that he's what's for dinner. His dad walks through the shop. Hasn't seen him all week. Hasn't seen him all week because he's been in the office busy. But his dad walks through the shop. Oh, there's my kid leaning on the bloody post again, doing nothing. Right? Am I right? Uh, yeah, it's probably happened. I don't know. My dad knows me. I I work hard at work. Yeah. yeah. I make sure just because of that. Like a lot of people think that because I work for my dad, I have this cushy. Oh yeah, take whatever time off you want. No, it's the yeah. opposite. When I'm sick, he calls me like, "How sick are you really?" Yeah. And That's how it is. And and I and I've seen it. With you and your dad, Keelan, right? The father-son dynamic is, uh, you know, it, it's tough. It's tough. And then you throw working together. Like Brody, Brody wouldn't work for me. He wouldn't work with mm-hmm. me. He said, Dad, I'm not. I saw how you were with your dad. So, I mean, I, I mean, 
I guess I was a bad enough dad. He joined the army to get away from me. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I think I like that was one of the hardest maturing experiences for me was just learning how to manage the relation relationship with my dad. Like yeah. that was growing up as far as just maturing through different aspects in your life. That was like the hardest one learning to see eye to eye or, yeah. or just like managing day to day life with that specific relationship. And, and I'm sure it's, I mean, I think everybody has that relationship with at least somebody and it's found either be your mom or dad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, we love our parents. Mm. We love our parents. I know you guys love your dads. I know you guys, uh, and I know you guys have your, your issues, but take comfort in the fact that all father sends to you. Yeah. Right. You know, and you know, and something that's hard for us as fathers, not to do is to bring up the fact of what we've done for you <laughs> right the whole scenario of <laughs> yeah. well, what like i buy this and i do this and, and yeah. you're gonna go drink beer tonight <laughs> like how dare you have a night off and have fun like forget it i thought get you know get on the bike get yeah. to the gym do that and Don't then poof along. bang crash boom there's a fight yeah. and nobody's talking for a week and right and uh, you know it's 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 when you're working with family uh uh, it's it's easy to fight and and, and us as as fathers sometimes we we throw that out there hey well I've done this how come you're not and, we, and you guys don't want to hear that I know you don't want to hear oh, it. Yeah. we don't want to say it but there's something in our head that just goes blah we say it and then the damage is done right well <laughs> let me ask you this if this makes sense to you my dad will probably strangle me the next time he sees me but I think you I think you take your dad by the way Huh? I think you take your dad, by the way. Yeah, probably. You couldn't it's hit not your as dad. Tough. Come it's on, not as tough man. as he thinks. The guy's a puss. <laughs> Sorry, Randy. No. Uh, th this is what my dad does to me, and I think it's kind of hysterical now, just because we're in a we're in a different place and yeah. things are good. But I I just think it's I think it's kind of funny now. But it's whenever I so I work for my dad. Like I drive. I mean, whenever racing stops, I'm in the seat of a truck pretty yeah. consistently. And, and usually, yeah, when September rolls around, that semi really doesn't stop till the end of January or yeah. whenever I head south, basically. Yeah. And my, it's, you know, you know what trucking is like, it's, yeah. it's just nonstop. And especially throughout that time of year, yeah. cause that's just the busy time, like October, yeah. November, December. Yeah. It's just the fall run. Yep. Yeah. You're in there like nonstop. So there's no time for anything else. Well, I'll be working like 16 hour days or 12 to 16 hour days. Like the only other time there is in the day is for sleep. Yeah. Won't be training. Start looking a little pudgy, whatever. My dad will say, how come you're not training? I'm like what? Really? And then the reverse will happen during the season or like, February, March, April, I'm all into moto. Like, yeah. if I'm going racing, there's nothing else. Yeah. That's just how I am. I like, I put everything else on the side. Yeah. And my dad will say, "Why? Well, I, need, I need you to work." <laughs> but and then I'll say to him, "I'm like, hey man, this is like, like this is this is the bed you made. You got to lay in it. Yeah. Like, I didn't have to race dirt bikes. You could have, you could have just." 
made me a farmer or something. <laughs> How'd that go over? Uh, it's usually it's a fight, 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 and then it kind of tames out. But, but yeah, I guess you know I might be part of that problem because like I'll call your dad. I'll be like, hey, I need like ten trucks to do this. <laughs> like, make man. sure you send Keelan. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't. I well, I, I actually. No, I don't think I've ever said that to him. I'm just like, I just, I need some trucks to do this or do that. And, and, and like what the struggles you have with your dad that you find as struggles. The reason I call him is because he never says no. Like he never says no to the customer. Right. No. Because he's like, here's a customer. I got to go do the work. Right. So, you know, he hangs up the phone and it's like, well, Phil called and needs 10 trucks or whatever. And it's not always as ridiculous as what we did that one year, but. Yeah, and right. then I'll get a call and I'll be down in California, and my dad say, "Hey, I need you to come home for a couple of weeks." Yeah, Phil called. He needs some trucks, right? <laughs> right. And then, Dad, Dad, I'm at Glen Helen right now. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? <laughs> what do you just mean? just get on a plane and come <laughs> haul like, yeah. some loads for Phil. Like, what's your problem, right? Yeah. Like, right. So, I mean, it's uh, uh, and and Brody, he didn't want anything to do with that relationship, father son working relationship. I, I still hope someday, like when he comes home from the military, that there'll be something that him and I can do together. Um, but I, you know, he's not coming home anytime soon. So, um, but uh, yeah, it's, and, but I can tell you this, <laughs> as much as you guys disagree on stuff or have your arguments or your dad, like whenever I talk to your guys' dads, it's just like, Jared did this, Keelan did that, and it's like their chests are puffed up, and they're they're proud of what you guys do, and like they, it's it's a father son dynamic. That's what it is. My mother told me that I was a terrible parent because I was too strict, and that's what caused my son to join the military. Like you can't win, right? Sometimes as a parent, you know, people say there's no book to being a parent. There is no book to being a parent. There's people that write books that think they know what they're talking about parenting, but you're doing it on the fly, right? And even as your kids get older, we don't care about you less. We probably care about and worry about you more, right? So you just put that in the back of your head. Right? I mean, yeah, they just want to push you. I know my dad will come out in the shop sometimes. He doesn't, I don't see my dad that much at work, maybe a couple of times a week, right. but he'll, he'll come out in the shop and he'll be like, why are you doing it this way? And then the next time, I'll be doing it the way you told me. He's like, well, well why don't you do it this way? So it's just like, <laughs> there's always looking for something to kind of, I don't know, maybe push you in the right direction or, right. I don't know, make you, make you think more maybe. I don't just know. If they, habit. if they didn't care, yeah, we wouldn't talk sure. to you at all. Yeah. Right. It's just like, whatever. Right. You got to remember that too. Like uh, put yourself in, in their shoes. Right. Sometimes during that conflict, put yourself in their shoes. And just look at it from their side. Of the, and I, I do that more and more as I get older. I, yeah, I find I do it's that like, too. Why is this guy acting like this today? Yeah. He's not normally like this. And I, you know, and you find out oh, his kid's sick, his wife's spending his paycheck at the bingo hall, you know, and it's building up on him and it's about to pop. And he just happened to took it out on you that day. That doesn't mean that's who the guy is, right? Yeah. That's just who he what happened to come out at that moment when you wanted to talk to him, right? Yeah. Right. So it's, a, it's, it's all like, a matter of perspective. Yeah. So, I mean, you have to, I think that's important. And it goes back to my whole change philosophy that uh, people don't, don't slow down and look at all the pieces enough, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, you know, go back to the, 
the racing structure, you know, it's kind of from a professionalism business standpoint. Like I can't believe that guys don't know what they're doing in in December, January when racing starts in like if you want to go south, you need to go when? Like in next month? Yeah, right? basically. And you don't know what you're doing? Like I, I guess and again, there's probably people out there, oh that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And I'm like, well, from a business perspective, why can't you plan that? What is wrong with our industry that so many guys are waiting to the last minute to get some sort of deal put together? Yeah. If we want our sport to be better, treat the athletes better. Treat them with more like I think I think did I read right? Honda already signed. Honda already signed two guys in Canada. Yeah, yeah, they have Tanner Ward and uh, Dylan Wright. So that was done like what? They did that right after the season. So, was done. so if they yeah, can do that, deals. yeah. So if they can do that, why why can't everyone else? Yeah, I don't know. That's a that's and, a that's a tough one because like it maybe every team is structured differently and and money's coming in from different areas. I know some of the people I'm talking to, it's more. Right. More of the funding is manufacturer based and then that's all based on bike sales. But there's also a lot of other teams that that the team owners are just multimillionaires and they they know how much money they got in the bank and, and they can make a decision right right then and there. So uh yeah, I don't know. That's that's a tough one, but you're right. It it makes it really hard for anything to kinda have any momentum but yeah exactly and you know i have a little note here um goals without timelines are just dreams like how do you how, how do you set a goal without knowing what, what it's going to be yeah right like you know um let's just talk it's just oh i'm gonna go racing next year or you know um, uh, I'm going to improve the efficiency of my welding shop. Okay. Well, how, what are you going to do? Well, I need to get a better deal on steel. All right. Well, when are you going to do it? Well, I, you know, we're going to get to that. No, like, when are you going to do it? Like mm -hmm. I've gone into businesses to try to help them before. And they're like, well, I, I need to save money on this, 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 and this. And I'm like, well, when, like, when, how, what? And I look at this racing stuff and it's like, well, I don't, you can't treat these guys better to tell them what they're doing a few months after the season's over. Does it really take six, eight months to put a program or six months to put a program together? Um, and maybe there's, like I said, there's people, people are going to watch this and go, well, yeah, it does. Okay. Well, why, why does it take six months to put something together? Why can't we change that? Why can't we help these guys to get to the next level? And so more guys don't drop out. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I, and I just sit back and I watch that and I, I don't understand it. And, and, and I, something else I don't understand either is like, I look at the, the Blackfoot shop, like the Blackfoot store, right? The place is a powerhouse, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they sell everything. Do they not have a team anymore at no. all? No, no. Like, that's sad. What happened that they don't have something put together? A, a store of that caliber, right? I mean, I know like Blackfoot Direct, um, Dean Thompson over there has a program and has mm -hmm. guys. I'm assuming, right, that ride yeah. for him and and um, uh, and I, he's always helped people. I mean, he helped my son at one point. And, um, but uh, 
Why doesn't Black Trap team? You know, he's one of the biggest. Is it not the biggest store in probably Western Canada? Uh, probably in the Western Canada, yeah. And they don't have a team. Well, I think, like, for them, and, I mean, I've only ever heard little tidbits, but, like, I think, what, it's uh, Pat and... It's uh, Jason. Pat, I just Pat, don't think Pat, they're interested Co- in doing Pat Connors and, or, yeah, Pat and Jason. Pat, but, Jason, and who's... I can't remember who they are. Right. But, no different Doug. than you, it's like, like... Things involve numbers, and yeah, if the numbers really don't make sense. Yeah, but I'm not but... selling motorcycles. <laughs> yeah. I'm not selling motorcycles. Right? And I'm may, not selling motorcycles. May, maybe they feel kind of dumb that they're selling motorcycles. Well, but it's, well I don't know. You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't, and, I don't know. Or maybe their passion just went away. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe, that, maybe that's that's a question Maybe it takes them. the right couple guys to reignite that passion by being disruptive. Maybe. And thinking outside the box and talking to somebody that stepped away from the sport for a while and saying... What can you do for us if we do this for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Because I, I, I've i never had any bad experiences in that store myself. I bought everything. I just bought some stuff from them for, for – I bought some little – what do you call them? Uh, utility vehicles um, from Mr. Newman. Ron Newman, how are you? Good guy. <laughs> Go to Blackfoot. See him. He's a good guy. Um, you get a commission on that. <laughs> no. Uh, but uh, I, uh, I, I just – Maybe maybe I have too much of a broad out look, you know, outside eyes looking in. But when I when I see when I see a store like that that's not not out there and in it, I wonder why. Well, maybe that's just part of our sport, like a problem with our sport in general. Like it's just not it's not really worth their time and all the money. They're not really getting as much as they could be out of it. Right. I know. You know, and then when I read stories about is it is it JDR Honda that signed those JDR Honda? Yeah. Yeah. You know, they hire two Canadian guys. Yep. Makes me awesome. want to go buy Honda stuff. Yep. Sure does. I mean, I don't know if you guys want to get into that conversation about Americans and Canadians, but um, that just, when I read that, I think I read it on Direct MX right, right after the race season. And uh, I thought, you know, makes me want to buy a Honda. Mm-hmm. I'm a Canadian guy. And uh, that I like that. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 But first I liked it because they put a deal together right away. Yeah. Those guys know what they're doing. They can plan, you know, they can plan their fall, winter and training and yeah. Well, I think like being a guy that's kind of stuck right in the middle of all that and, and kind of being like a bubble guy that's on, on the edge of being a privateer and being a factory rider, like I'm right, right in the center and I know a lot of the people I talk to and and the business dealings I do with just trying to line up things year after year with my career, it's yeah, like I said earlier, like every team is is structured differently, and uh, right. like I think with the Canadian industry being so small, it's really difficult to uh, rely on manufacturer support because yeah, there's only so many bike sales, and that's where maybe like yeah the pat and jason at blackfoot that they were just outside guys that had a passion for racing happened to have a bike shop but they wanted to start a race team and they're probably losing money every year on that team and i don't think there's a single team in canada that actually makes money but it's it's those guys behind the teams that are putting their in their own hard-earned dollars just because they like they like racing like my one of my team owners this year, like 
has spent thousands and thousands of dollars year after year to go racing just because his dream was to run a race team yeah and that's what he's spending his money on like my hobby is going snowboarding i like to go buy my spend my money on snowboarding stuff or mountain biking stuff yeah i'm losing money i'm not making money on it like that's just that's my hobby yeah for them like running a race team is a hobby but it's it's those guys that that makes our sport run i can assure you that those guys that had the blackfoot team were making money those guys are savvy guys you don't build a business like that losing money on something year after year i think honda pulled out went their own route with their own stores and and uh and the deal went away then they went to yamaha yeah and uh went to yamaha and maybe that wasn't just as good i don't know maybe i heard i i heard it was just getting like i think you're right there like right those are i i've met uh i've met uh jason i've met pat as well but i've had more conversations right. with jason and uh yeah it uh it was just is getting cut in half more and more and more yeah. and that's the thing is like trying trying to rely on on the bike sales to run a race program is really difficult yeah and yeah i think you're right like they're smart businessmen and they're very smart guys. they're probably just yeah. sick of losing money i i could tell you there's nothing i'm going to invest in for the love of it <laughs> mm-hmm. like nothing because um there's certain things in your life that that you do that you love that take money from you whether it's riding your bike or snowboarding skiing whatever right but there's nothing I'm going to invest in if I know I'm going to, I'm not going to make any money and I'm just doing it because it makes me smile. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'll go to Vegas, put it on red. <laughs> that <laughs> makes me smile and I know I'll lose. Right? So, I mean, um, I guess that, that is a good question though. Like, and it, like I, I truly believe that there are guys, like, I, I seen it firsthand. Like, my team did not make a cent this year. They went over budget. Right. But, and, uh, just with some mishaps, like, and that's going to happen. Like right. we had some blown motors and, and et cetera, but right. it's, uh, that is a good question though, to know, like how much people are investing and how much are they actually losing on the sport? Like there's right. the, most of the team owners I know are all, yeah, very savvy businessmen, but it's, it is, it is, would be interesting to see their books. Yeah. behind their teams yeah um i just you know i hear stories of guys racing in you know the 80s and and they made money right top guys were making money and uh there were no semis back then box yeah. fans box fans yeah. with a couple guys tooling across the country and uh um they made it work same amount of races some of the same places and they're probably making more money too. making more money like wouldn't it be nice to step away from a sport with money and not debt mm-hmm. right and that's what i don't want to see for any of you guys is to chase something for so long that you know by the time you hit 30 or early 30s you're you're 10 years behind financially um because you've been chasing something that uh um is expensive right mm-hmm. and that's not quitting. Like that's not quitting, you know? And that's why I say, uh, you know, this racing is a business. 
at, at especially at your guys' level, it's a business. And if the business isn't making any money, guess what? It ain't going to last very long before the bank comes calling and they want their shit back, right? And more importantly, um, I think, and I know, I know this, it, it, there's, there's, there's times in your life that are very important that affect the, later on financially. And I see people do it all the time. You know, they, they get behind the eight ball in their 30s and it gets worse in their 40s and they roll into their 50s and they got a big mortgage and 10 grand in RSPs and they want to retire when they're 65, right? So what you guys do now is very important to what happens then. Now, I'm not telling you to quit racing. I'm not. What I'm suggesting is to think outside the box to ensure that the system doesn't knock you backwards. That's what I'm saying in that statement, right? And there's lots of things I'd love to do um, when I was younger, and and I shelved them. I shelved them because uh, I couldn't afford to do it anymore the way I was going, and there's other things I wanted to do. And when I look back at it now, I didn't want it bad enough. You guys still really want it bad. I can see it. I can see how hard you work. I can see the efforts that you put in. Um, just got to find a way to do it a little bit different, you know? Break up the mold. Phil's disruptive factor. Start a podcast. Yeah, Start a podcast. Go. Do you want to? Do you want to? You know, you want to sponsor our podcast? I went to. I want to sponsor nothing. Oh. I went to. <laughs> I went to. I went to uh, this thing yesterday called the Art of Leadership, and there's a thousand people at the Cal's Convention Center listening to one, two, four different speakers, and all those guys are doing is telling their life story. That's all they were doing, but it was interesting. It was interesting, and it was from a leadership perspective, right? Um, you know, a couple little tidbits I picked up. Um, I never thought of it this way. People talk about your strengths and weaknesses. Um, you know, your strengths are your opportunities, right? Think about that. It's not just, oh, I have strengths, I have weaknesses. No, your strengths is who you are. That's what you can do. And... Take those strengths and bundle them up in a package that's appealing to somebody, right? Instead of just sending out the same old resume to the same old people that say, oh, we'll get back to you. Just try to put it, do it different. Try it different. Go see Jason Mitchell. What's stopping you from going knocking on his door saying, let's get this going again? I actually kind of did and didn't want to anyway. That would yeah, yeah, I talked well, to him last year too. He's like, mm, no. Nothing ventured, nothing gained, right? Yeah, there you, you go. You know, sitting on the couch gets you nowhere. Yeah, I not that you guys sit on the couch, right? No. But, you know, yeah, when, a, when you have a business, and I've said this for a long time, when you have a business and you're passionate about it, you're putting everything into it, you should never need a break from it, mm. right? The race, and I get it. You guys physically need a break once in a while. You need to step back, let your bodies heal, whatever. But if you're truly, truly passionate about it, you should never, ever need a break. Your wife might tell you we have to go on a vacation, right? Or we're going somewhere and we're turning our phones off for a week. But you shouldn't need a break from it. Yeah, and I that's when you really, truly know that that's what you should be doing, right? Yeah. You know, 
I am very fortunate. I've been very fortunate in my life to work with people, the best people, period. I, I didn't plan it that way. Um, I was blessed to be surrounded by people that are positive, that, uh, that care about people, that um, look after people, uh, look after the environment, do the right things. And uh, um, I'm glad it worked out for me the way that it did. It's allowed me to venture off and do other entrepreneurial things and, and get my feet wet in other areas. And, and, and that's taught me to think outside the box and to not be afraid of a challenge, but not to get sucked into something stupid, right? Because so many people do that. So I see it all the time. Hey, I got this deal. Give me 50 grand. You know, I, I can make the, I, you know, there's just, there's a lot of bad people out there, right? Bad people take from you. The good people give to you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and just be careful. Just be in this, you know, whatever you, however you guys play out this next three, four, five years, however it falls into your racing plan. Um, keep surrounding yourself with those good quality people. Great that you know just the way kind of society is just trying to feed you through the school system they're trying to fit you into this mold they're not really teaching you to think outside the box and they're not teaching you to think of ways everyone just thinks they got to go get a job and they got to work and this but there's there's different ways of doing things and i think that we just don't do that because it's not what we've been taught you know? yeah I, you know i think we're living in a time um where we're extremely judgmental and uh, quick to treat people as disposable. I I really do. Um, We've all seen it in the media, some of the stuff that's gone on with people saying the wrong thing and doing the wrong thing. and Canceled. And fired, right? I I think at this part of my life now, I'm more interested to see how people recover Mm -hmm. from a massive failure than I am to burn them at the stake, mm-hmm. right? Like I've seen so many people turn their lives around from making a mistake. And I find now I'm more interested in, in hearing about, hey, how'd you get yourself out of that? Yeah. <laughs> how'd you fix that? Instead of me going, you're an idiot, right? Yeah. You put a million dollars up your nose and you want me to be feel sorry for you? Get away from me, right? Yeah. Now I'm like, why'd you do that, man? Why'd you do that to yourself? And more importantly, how the how did you get out of that and get to here? Yeah. Cause I'm I, always I, interested in hearing, like, you always right? hear those stories of uh, of these guys that, like, start these companies and then they go bankrupt. And then all of a sudden they come back with another company. Yeah. Like, how do these guys do that? Well, a lot of people's businesses that go bankrupt, they never touch, they end up never touching their personal money. Right. Like, smart guys use other people's money. How are they smart enough to get somebody else's money after going bankrupt? You know, it just just happens. They're smarter than they smarter than they let you think. You know what it is? You know what it is? A lot of people think, oh, you know, an entrepreneurial an entrepreneurial person is someone who starts businesses and successful and sells the business two years later or or continues to run a business, makes millions of dollars. I think, I know, an entrepreneurial person is someone who thinks outside the boxes. And has the ability to build relationships with people. That's what I think an entrepreneur is. Mm-hmm. Because I belong to this, this entrepreneur's network group. And 
I talk to young people all the time that come in and talk to me like, hey, I got my headshot done with my $2,000 suit. Like, what do you think? I'm like, oh, it looks good. What are you going to do? <laughs> like, all right, what's, what, what are you thinking? Like, well, what do you think of my headshot? And I'm like, well, it's great, but you know, I don't really care. <laughs> like, you know, like, I mean, what are you going to do? Where, where does the rubber hit the road? Like, what are we doing next? It's, it's my whole thing. You know, goals of those timelines are just dreams, right? You know, um, what, like, what's your plan? You want to, do you want to buy Tim Hortons? Do you need the, you're looking for the money for the franchise fee, right? Is that what you're looking for? You want to start a trucking business? You want to, you know, figured out a way to purify people's water in their house for eight bucks. Like what, what, what is it? Right. And so, um, and like some entrepreneurial people never start a business, but they have that ability to think outside the box and to look for other, for them to look for opportunities that other people might just blow off. Right. Yeah. And, uh, um, and there's accidental entrepreneurs, guys that, you know, have a business that maybe their dad ran and they continue to run it and continue to run it well. And um, they don't look at themselves as entrepreneurs. I just go to work and I pay the bills. Well, no, you're running a business with 40 guys and you're doing well and you're an entrepreneur. No, I just run a trucking company, right? So um, a lot of people throw that word around now, being an entrepreneur. And uh, it's like my teacher's calling me disruptive. It's not always accurate. Um, don't stop thinking outside the box. You know, we sat down to dinner maybe what a month ago. Yeah, and uh, just kind of made me think of this. But I I thought it was pretty interesting at the time where you were talking about how your company was uh, rebranded. Yes, and it's been a successful company for many years, and yeah. I mean, it didn't really have to change, but what kind of like what prompted that well it's not that it's not my company that particular company well right oh, sorry you're 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 higher up you're a part of it yeah so so uh you know uh i think the uh the company hired a consultant and wanted to just kind of look at everything and and somebody said hey you guys should try this um a little bit of a name change some some color changes, some changes to a website, and uh, and and it was done because I, like you know in a mature business, mature business can go along for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and with the same customers and doing the same thing, and you, you kind of fall into a bit of a rut there, and if you want to take that company to another level, you need to tell your story, and rebranding tells your story, and. Um, you know, you see a lot of companies that sort of change their logo or change their name a little bit. And, you know, it, it draws that attention to, Hey, you know, we are looking to the future and we are trying different things. And, and that's why, that's why we did that. That's why we did that. And like nothing, nothing sparked it from like public backlash. No, or, nothing like that. Nope. No. Nope. I mean, it's just like a, almost like an, uh, a need or a feeling or a need or just we wanted the people in the company just to constantly the, progress or grow um, or the wanted they wanted to uh tell their story of who we are and what we do right who we are what we do and why we do it and what benefits we are to certain industries in western canada right 
And where before we just kind of, oh, that they go, those guys do that over there. You know, we, we want it to be, um, we want it to be, for lack of a better term, better known. Provides right. more value. Yes. And you know what? I mean, um, you see it with companies that change their website and, and change their, their logos or whatever. It's more than that. It's more than that. It's telling your story. It's telling your story about who you are, where you've come from, and what you've done. Um, you know, Wild Rose Motocross um, needs to, I think, uh, tell that story a little bit more, like I mentioned earlier. Um, because I, th- I don't think, uh, I, you know, I, I'm assuming the membership over there is good now and that things are, there's a lot of riders and, and, and those guys need to know that story. Those people need to know that story so that when they're asked about the park or if there's any criticism thrown their way, they can say, hey, this is why we're here. This is how we're here. And this is what we do. We create a family environment for every level of rider. And um, it's, it's no different than any business. You tell your story. Like, I don't know the story behind your dad's business, really, in a little bit. Definitely don't know yours, right? But they've both been around for a long time, right? Both successful. And uh, continue to do big stuff, but nobody really knows. And maybe your guys is, you know, maybe you guys wanted to leave it that way. I don't know, but uh, I think I think for mature businesses to to stay in that zone, you gotta tell your story. And maybe motocross needs to retell its story. <laughs> right? Maybe motocross in general needs to retell its story. And. Uh, and I got to be clear about this. I think there's great people involved all the way across the country, right? I think um, there's a lot of people that uh, have made money off the sport. There's a lot of people who made businesses out of the sport. And I think those people need to be there. I do. Because without them, uh, there's nothing, right? There's got to be a risk taker at the top somewhere, right? Yeah. And, ob- and, you know, and that risk taker, there's always going to be the criticism. Ah, they don't pay enough for this. They don't mm-hmm. do this. And they do that. But they're the guys that took it on. <laughs> yeah right and maybe going back to like uh, i'll say in quote like telling the story yeah maybe if yeah like if we think of a way to rebrand the sport uh, right. and obviously that's the duty of the community and, and the riders yeah. and the families within it and and then also the the industry itself like maybe we will see our sport grow but yeah. uh yeah, I just all a lot of what I hear is always just it's it's it has a bit of a negative stigma stigma to it. But like I I don't see it that way at all. Like I I see I see it as a sport that has I've learned I've learned more in racing than I think I would have ever learned in school, and I've built more friendships, relationships, and business relationships in racing then I think I would have, like, I think I've made more connections in racing than I would have ever made by going to school or making a LinkedIn account. Running I, a business or maybe yeah, not that. But. I, I don't know, but, like, like, do you think you and I would have really started a podcast if no, we hadn't met racing? No. Or, like, no. like, honestly, I, like, I met you through racing and, yeah. and, I, I look at you as a valuable connection and, and, mm-hmm. and a valuable relationship and somebody that I feel 
provides value to my life that is going to help me yeah in in the long run and i look at a lot of people like that now like 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 you said like treating racing as a business that's yeah. how i look at my racing and, yeah. and that's i i don't ever look at people as disposable like anybody i meet in racing i right. i consider my friends yeah but i also consider it as yes it's a biz- business and it can help me progress not just in this business but in my life in general like right i feel like i could call a handful of people today yeah. and not just have a job but have a career yeah because of yeah because of this sport yeah um yeah and and i um and it's that family atmosphere that is prevalent at racetracks that yeah that does that right people get, people get drawn in like i got those relationships genuine exactly like and you have that common interest and that common goal and and that can also cause people to fight and have conflict too mm-hmm. right i mean not everyone's gonna always be on the same page right like there's things there's things at racetracks that drive me crazy right drive me crazy from a professionalism standpoint but you know it's, it doesn't stop me from never stop me from going there yeah right um and and I always thought, you know, if this if we could just change this or tweak that, maybe you draw in the bigger, better sponsors, um, uh, you know, the better level. But then I gotta say this, like the last few years, the advertising for the races in Calgary, like are terrible, non-existent. If I didn't know, if I didn't know from talking to people that are still involved, I'd have never heard there's a national in Calgary this year. Yeah, well, a lot of people are like. What, what? I talked to her like, well, what do you mean? I thought it's on Father's Day weekend. Like, no. no, it's not anymore. It's on a, well, it's now it's on back on Sunday. Right. But no one had any idea that right. it was on Saturday, that it was the first week in June or the last week right. in May. No one had any idea. And no TV, no radio. Nothing, nothing. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, so I, so think, I was like. I think they're learning from that. Yeah, yeah well, but, it's a new new thing, right? right. They're going to learn as they go. Yeah, that, I mean, to me, that's that's a professionalism. I think like people think, oh, professionalism. Everyone has to dress better talk better no like be like do a better job yeah just do a better job right and um, And that being said too like your your opinion on that is it has zero emotional ties can like maybe you and i would have yeah because we're in the sport (laughs) we're in the industry and we're friends with those guys that are running the series but yeah i mean your opinion is like you said outside looking in i i I am a thousand percent now just an observer I was really just an observer with when my son was racing. Um, uh, while some people track my tell you I was a royal pain in the ass at times because I've, I was so adamant about safety and I think, oh, you've never raced. You know what you're talking about? I said, well, I'm tired of seeing that group of guys crash their brains out on that specific obstacle. <laughs> Maybe you need to change it. Maybe you need to slow that section down. Right. And then it took a few other people to say some stuff and, and, uh, you know, and I still not probably don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm I'm just an observer, someone who spent a lot of money in there, and I always just wanted to see it safe. That's all. Just yeah. wanted to see it. Just wanted to see things safe, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, challenging obviously. And for you guys, I mean, you have to separate. There has to be that stuff there to separate. You know, top from the bottom. But um, I think, uh, I, I I just think that the the whole thing needs a new new set of eyes yeah yeah i think going back to what you were saying a little bit yeah almost 
every single person I talk to on a regular basis is from the track, right? Like I've, that's a whole community that I think kind of is missing in society a little bit. Like I don't even know my neighbors and it's kind of like everyone kind of craves that community yeah. in the, at the track. Cause everyone's there. It's the same group of guys there every year. And you know, yeah. it's, it's awesome. Like yeah. I feel like I've lived 10 lifetimes just from going to the track and all the lessons I've learned from racing and, you know, I've I've always said to to people that where you go to work, um, whether it's your own business or you're working for somebody else, like that's where you go to make a living. But you have to make a life on your own, mm. and uh, you know, don't expect your employer to to make that life for you. You got to yeah. make that on your own, mm -hmm. right? And that's why places like Wild Rose are such a great place to uh, um, to to go because that's that's your life. It's your guys's life. That's what you love to do. That's what you work for. That's what you you get after, right? Just uh, don't let it suck you into the abyss, <laughs> right? You know, you know. When I see a guy like Michael S, he say, "I can't believe this place is in the middle of nowhere." I mean, the guy's raced all over the world, right? And he, and Calgary's one of his one of one of his faves. It's one that stands out. It's one he likes. Yeah. One he loves, right? Yeah. Right? You and know? It's not, yeah, it's not because of the track, right? So, you know, it's so because it's yeah where it is and the atmosphere yeah you it know. really it's like it to me it is a shame that uh, well i sh i was just gonna say like it's a shame that it's not more well known within the city but i think it's it's getting there it's growing like every right. year i see i see new faces and and a lot of them are all people that look like right. they went and bought a three thousand or two thousand dollar hunk of shit on yeah. Kijiji and and they yeah. show up in their running shoes and jeans and they're a hazard out there on the track but i mean that kind of makes it crappy for guys like myself and jared that are trying to train there but on another note like those are the people that could potentially be contributing to our salaries yeah and yeah, it's like those those are the people that are making our sport grow and it actually like i got stoked when i see see like some random guy show up that i've never seen before because yeah. then it's like like cool like yeah like this is becoming like more yeah. of a mainstream thing in our city like yeah yeah i think yeah this this year and even a little bit last year was it had to have been like record numbers for for memberships or even mm -hmm. just gate entries right. at yeah. the track it like right. you know it struggled a little bit with weather but I think if you went on a day-to-day -day basis, yeah. it, it, the numbers had to have been up. And I, even, I think that's cool. Well, even though uh, like bike sales are down, still you're seeing lots of new guys at the track. There's tons of people at the track always. Yeah, but you, you know dealerships say that the sales are down and like all, the Alberta economy is not doing that good. But it's pretty cool to see a lot of new guys out there. And I think going back to the stigma a little bit, I think a lot of people don't really understand our sport for whatever reason they think like when i talk to people at work they're like oh yeah well like what's your best trick or what's this and what's that <laughs> it's like people just think that motocross is just like a party atmosphere or whatever but they don't really see like the elite athlete right. side of it for what i don't know how to change that or how to fix yeah. it or well, well, I think well that, there's so many different outlets for it though like it's it uh i'm trying to think of one other sport that's kind of like that like I really downhill mountain biking. Yeah, well, I've, been to, I've been to Crankworks at Whistler and yeah. seen. Yeah, it's like, oh my 
God, what is this? So I, I stumbled into that by accident. Yeah. I was up there. I was up there for something else. And I was like, what's the deal here? And I was like, but maybe, maybe there is another sport like ours though, where it's like, there's it's so many sport. different outlets. Like you got your, you got your guys from an Eli Tomac and an, a Jeffrey Hurlings all the way to like, Phil probably doesn't even know, but like an Axel Hodges or uh, yeah, you different. Know, there's a wide there's a number ninety three or something. Ninety six. Ninety six. Yeah. Yeah. It does yeah. It just does just some plays cool around, stuff. Plays around his backyard. Does some cool stuff. Yeah, making millions and probably gets shit faced so, every night. You know, you brought up the fact of you know motocross being that party atmosphere, and that that's one of the things that bothered me. And 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 I and I think it hurts the sport. You know, I grew up playing hockey. I don't remember my parents like sitting in the stands, drinking beer, staying overnight, doing an all-nighter, partying it up. Um, and, and maybe that's my problem. But you know, if I was a, if I wanted to be a big money sponsor, that bothers me. That part of it bothers me because I see the athleticism there and the level of effort that you guys put in. And I believe, and I've always deemed it a clown show. I don't think it's cool. And I think it takes away from the sport. And a lot of people disagree with me. I've had this argument with people like lots. Um, but, you know, from a professional standpoint, I think, um, I think it could be better. I, I, I'm 50-50 on that one. I don't yeah. like it for, like, I don't, I mean, I got nothing against those guys and whatever, but I just think, like the Axel Hodges and, and those guys that are just kind of promoting that lifestyle, yeah. which it's, it's a fun lifestyle and a lifestyle. I'm sure a lot of kids want to live. Yeah. It's, I think that still generates sales and that's why those guys are making so much money, which sure can roll over to us Yeah, in, in the long run. But yes, it does hurt the racing side of things I think for it sure. I, it, like, I, I think it does. Yeah. I think just like the general public doesn't really, if they actually like looked into what we do and like what kind of limits we're pushing, like heart rates and everything for 30 yeah. minutes, they'd be like, Oh wow. I didn't know you yeah. can do that on a dirt bike. I thought it's just like you twist the throttle. Yeah. Yeah. They, gen they generalize. Yeah. It's like a that, that side basically. of the sport convolutes the other side. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, but I bet there's some people out there shaking their head at me right now over bringing it up. But I mean, you know, uh, I know that I, I don't go, to as many races anymore um just because my son's you know somewhere else and uh um but that always just i just could never figure that out there's this big sign at the park it says no alcohol yeah <laughs> but like at certain events it's just a bloody free-for-all and i'm like uh, am i reading that sign wrong is that in french because i'm like is that me or what right and maybe they should take that add something to that sign that says uh no factory rides given out today <laughs> right yeah, yeah. you know and they can put that sign up at the hockey rink at the hockey rinks too right yeah. uh the eight-year-old peewee class is not up for nhl contracts this month right yeah. you know as a reminder to people yeah to, hey chill out have fun and if your kid decides that he wants to take it somewhere then away you go right but yeah, yeah i think that i don't i still understand it sometimes like people like uh, for instance, my my wife's ste uh, stepmom, she came and watched the track one time, and she's like, "Oh, I don't, I don't see this as anything more any more interesting than NASCAR." I'm like, I just don't understand it. I'm like, 
this sport is so interesting and it's such a rush to watch like for me i don't know if it's just different from the outside looking in but it's just i don't get how people aren't so like aren't grabbing onto it to see it's such a like there's so many different variables and it's such a technical sport in so many ways like from your mental from your mental side to your physical side to like the bike setup and all that it's just it's such an interesting sport to me it's it's more technical than people will yeah the people are you know involved in it they don't yeah i guess if you're not in it you don't really understand right. the whole thing but yeah, you don't ha- i guess that's another thing too is you don't really have that info like as as an external spectator like i listen to like i agree i, I think it's the greatest sport ever but i was i think a lot of i think any sports are awesome but yeah. like obviously this one i'm pursuing yeah. the one i'm in and i love yeah. it but i listen to a uh pulp uh, Pulp MX episode, right. and uh, he was talking about our uh, our appeal, like the mm-hmm. sports appeal, and uh, and he was talking to it was actually like an external consultant, like some like some sort of other media personnel yeah. from a, another sport. It might have been NASCAR or something. And his first, uh, I think, the first thing he pinpointed as to why it's difficult for an outside sponsor to come into our sport is it's the promotion is intermittent and whereas in like a sport like nascar like there's the giant logo that they pay for that's on the hood of the car you always see it and you're you're in the ear of of uh the crew chief or the mechanic and or you can hear the guy talking while he's right or driving yeah and whereas the only sponsorship promotion you get on in like supercross is when the guys mention his his sponsors at the the end of the race yeah yeah Yeah. it's a different setup for sure and and then i guess it's it's the same thing too where it's like maybe people can relate more with nascar because they drive their cars every day and maybe they want to swing their their off ramps a little wider than usual whereas dirt biking is just like something that's totally foreign and hard to relate with right and uh yeah i don't know that like i think that's that's a tough one but you can definitely tell with supercross like they're trying to make it more relatable like doing doing the makeup the mud thing with right. uh, trying to get more girls yeah. involved and i know like uh that's husqvarna's big campaign is trying to make it make their brand with riding more of a lifestyle brand so it's like people are intrigued to build this lifestyle around uh, motorcycles like so the efforts there it's just maybe it's moving at a really slow rate or or maybe it needs to be shifted a smidge well they did hear the other day that they're talking about adding at least one-way communication in the headsets and they want to well i don't know if they want to or i don't know if someone's just suggesting it but it would be huge if you could get one way at least one way communication from the rider to the mechanic and then you could sell a package to the spectator and they could listen in and they could get more of an understanding of what's going on right mm-hmm. right you know you, you you touched on one thing there mate you you mentioned mainstream and you mentioned mentioned ladies like it's 2019 why are the women not racing for the same money that the men are yeah, that's a good point. Or at like, least on the same want, stage. It's getting the, smaller and smaller. It's the, the same world, coverage, so. the same coverage, the same everything. This is 2019, people. Right? 
you want to bring more people into the sport, do that. Right? Yeah. Actually, should have that the same benefits. Point, you get your the same do, benefits you guys should have. Yeah. They and, do do the makeup to mud thing, yeah. but there's no where do the girls go race? I don't know. That's right? a, that that is a good point. That's, yeah, they don't have that in the states. And I think like if you get if you get like girls attached to it, then all of a sudden, even if their boyfriend or husband or whatever is not even in the sport, then they'll watch it with their wife or girlfriend or whatever. A, I just I'm I'm quality is uh important i i yeah still not there doing better in canada though the women have a pretty good series they do yeah i say i like i said i've been been away from it for a bit but i mean my opinion if, it's definitely it's lacking if, if a woman maybe not a, in canada like if a female racer puts in the same effort you guys are putting in spends the same money on her bike that you guys spend once you race for the same money. Right? So, you know, again, just that's how it is looking at. Right? Yeah, so, uh, you know, me and my dad have been talking a bit lately, and uh, it's come up a few times. Yeah, they, my parents kind of wish they never got me into the sport, kind of in a way, just because of all maybe the injuries or, you know, all the maybe the sport can seem unfair at times but uh yeah i'm just wondering if you ever kind of felt that way as a parent oh oh definitely um there there was you know like with brody when brody got burnt that time um that was that was awful that was awful and i'd said to him you know he, he had a couple surgeries skin grafts and whatnot <clears throat> and uh we were sitting at the children's hospital and he was like 15 i think and I was like, um, you know, and it, it was ugly, ugly. Yeah, I remember that day. Yeah, it was ugly. And uh, I said to him, I said, hey, uh, why don't we pack this in, you know, and let's go buy a boat and go to the lake and let's do some different stuff. And he's like, I, no, I'm good. I'm good, Dad. I'm good. And uh, I think that's where, like, oddly enough, after that, that's where I think Brody progressed the most. And, uh, and I, at the, I was like, Oh, that was a bit of a, man, this is, this sport can be unforgiving. Um, but now everybody knows Brody went away, joined the military and lives out in another province and he has a dirt bike and three or four days a week, he gets on his dirt bike right on the military base and goes rides. And he's got a whole bunch of other guys into just riding and, you know, he said to me, he goes, dad, I just love riding my dirt bike. I don't want to race anymore, but I just like going out and riding my dirt bike. And he goes, it's a stress reliever for me. And he goes, I'm always going to love riding my dirt bike. So as a parent, I'm like, hey, you know, I gave him something that he could do for the rest of his life. There's lots of people that ride and they're obviously at the vet races where guys are riding in their 60s and 70s. And, um, but that just, you know, Brody has a bike in his garage at he uh keeps nice and clean and gives them something to do and but I, I think every parent has probably run through that in their head i think it's a fair fair observation for a parent to have is like you know i bought him i bought my kid a little dirt bike i didn't think it was going to turn into this yeah. you know this level of of commitment for one thing the financial aspect as you mentioned and they can really get hurt um so i i I've had that conversation. I have, but I think now, um, 
I, I, I regret some of the things that I did, some of the approaches that I took um, in that time, but, but I don't regret getting Brody a, a dirt bike. No, I don't. Like, going back, do you think, uh, like, was there ever a time where you felt like it could have been something bigger, like he could make a living at it? be a career Uh, you know i never i never thought that way um i just wanted to give him the tools to do it the best of his ability and he could figure it out and he could figure it on his own like i i'm very very proud of myself that when he was you know (laughs) eight nine ten years old i wasn't that dad out there you gotta jump that like brody was probably one of the last guys to figure out jumping and the day that he did it the day that he jumped the 110, you probably remember this day. He decides to jump the 110 the day that Jared and Dean Wilson are at the track for that breakfast television. Oh, yeah. Thing. <laughs> it was muddy. Oh, that was a different time. It was like, yeah, I remember that. You were there too, I think. It was like breakfast television comes yeah. comes to the track and Dustin says, oh, Brody, you can come out and you can ride around and Jared and Dean Wilson was here because he raced yeah, the promoting, national. Yeah. Promoting the national. Promoting the national. Yeah, I think it was muddy that. It was yeah. like a little bit muddy yeah. that day. And Dean Wilson was on 250 cow soccer, yeah. I remember. Yeah. And and Brody goes out on the track and I see him like eyeing up the 110. And, and I'm like, oh, maybe this is the day he's going to do it. And Jared and Dean come up behind him. And I mean, they are tapped like blah, 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 blah. And they hit the, and then Brody decides to hit the 110 right between them. I'm like, of all times to, to and then <laughs> I do remember this. I remember. Right. He just straight up, dead sailor, straight down. <laughs> right. And these guys are like sideways beside him. And um, and then I thought, oh, I bet you he just crapped his pants for sure, right? <laughs> he had no idea they were coming up behind him. And uh um and then he and then he landed and he and then uh, Dean and Jared came back up and came back the other way and and then Brody cut the track and came back and then he did it like four times in a row and he came over and he's like, dad, I did it. I'm like, why would you pick a time like that to try? <laughs> and then, so I, I, I'm proud of the fact that I'm proud of the fact that he, he did that on his own without me being crazy moto dad saying, yeah. Hey, you got to start jumping this stuff or you're just never gonna. And that's what I, I mean, I don't know a lot about motocross, but I know that you cannot push your kid to do something that, he's not ready in his head to do. So I, I'm proud of that. I'm not proud of the fact that Brody and I had some knockdown drag out fights about motocross, right? You know, he threw a mountain bike at me in my garage because I pissed him off to a high level, <laughs> right? And I, I regret that stuff. And uh, um, so, um, but it comes back to what I said earlier about the father-son syndrome, right? Hey, I'm doing all this for you over here. And I ask you to do one thing over here and you don't do it. Crash, bang, boom. There's a fight. That's what I regret. That's what I regret. And and, and that may have happened with him playing football or playing hockey or, or whatever, right? Yeah, that so, could happen with anything. It's anything in life. Like It can. Yeah. Any, like kind of when I was dealing with my concussion issues and uh, Dom was trying to get me to go get help and I refuse, I refuse, I refuse until I hit the point where I figured out that I needed to go get help. It's kind of the same thing as you pushing your kid in like to do a jump or whatever. It's like 
yeah, you can only tell them, but until they're actually, they've hit the point where they're ready to do it, that's, right. that's when they're going to do it. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and I, you'll, when you guys have kids of your own, you'll realize that, that uh, no matter what it is, if your kid's not ready to do it, they ain't going to do it. Right. You can only give them the tools to get them to a certain level. Um, I mean, doing your chores and cleaning the house is another thing. Yeah. Right. But whether it's sport, whether it's school or, you know, whatever it is, um, yeah, and I think I regret. I think I regret, um, you know, buying buying and doing things uh, to do with racing that we didn't need. We didn't need it, right? I, you know, we didn't need the all the swag, so to speak, right? We didn't need that stuff. And uh, like I said, disclaimer: there are people out there that go to the track in motorhomes and nice trucks and all that sort of stuff and it works for them yeah i regret doing that but that's kind of like how we're uh maybe talking away from uh the podcast but that's just kind of where the bar is set and where people were well i guess we did touch on it where like right. people come into the sport and they feel overwhelmed because that is where the bar is set is yeah is it, people think they need all these right. things to succeed where right. that's that's really not the case like I, I I mean, I, t- I tell some of the parents around the track that, and I coach their kids, like, if if there's some kid in the States that could come up here and hop on a stock motorcycle and whip your kid's butt, yeah. y- you don't need that motor or that, mm-hmm. or that pipe or, yeah, or whatever. Like, it's, you yeah. can get the job done with minimum amounts. It's, right. it's, it's investing the money into the areas that count, yeah. like. Like like riding schools yeah. and learning technique or eating healthy foods yeah. or or just all all the stuff all the behind the scenes stuff right. that that people like because we look up to pro racers growing up and all we see is the cool bikes they have and the cool lifestyles yeah. and that's what you think the kids yeah. think they need yeah. to get there but you don't see the behind the scenes stuff of all the mental training those racers are doing sitting on their living room floors meditating or stretching or waking up at 5 a.m to make a a massive breakfast or meal prepping every other night to have quality food for an entire week when they're traveling from track to track or from race to race it's yeah it's all that all that extra stuff that's 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 the stuff that's that feeds progression and i you know, and I think in a lot of cases, the younger kids, I don't think they're the problem with looking up and seeing all that stuff. It's the, it's the parents. Like, I'd bring home all this bling for Brody's bikes, and he didn't, get, he didn't care. He's like, oh, you, you know, put, put, do the suspension. Yeah. Do the suspension at some point, you know, like not, I don't think every 65cc kid out there needs a, no, a they don't need it. Right, you don't, and and I did all that stuff, and I regret doing that stuff because I think it, and it takes away from, um, it takes away from what you're doing, and that's riding the bike, right? Um, you know, Brody, Brody didn't want that stuff ever, and then you know too, like you know, do you really need to buy a brand new 250F every season, like for a junior kid? Probably not, right? Like. Look after your bike, do the maintenance, do the motor over the winter. But no, 
I'd go buy two new bikes, sometimes three new bikes, and they'd be lined up, and he'd ride one and barely wear, wear out one in a year, yeah. right? So I regret that. And I was a guy that could afford it. And, you know, the people that can't afford it get themselves into trouble trying to keep up with that crap. Yeah, that's I find that's... Right? They try to keep up with it, and then, you know, they remortgage their house, and they max out their line of credit, and they're making payments on stuff that they shouldn't be making payments on. And, you know... The kid turns 12 and says, ah, I want to go play baseball. Dad's paying it off for the next 10 years, yeah. right? Because dad took it to that level. The kid didn't. Dad did. Yeah. I find that's the problem with our sport right? is, yeah. is the bar set up here yeah. when it should be here. Sure, there are some people that are able to play up here, yeah. but it, it, it shouldn't be – people shouldn't think that they have to be up here no. to make it happen. No. Yeah. I remember you at like – 11, 10 or 11 years old, you pull your bike out of a, it was an old CR 85 piece of crap, piece of crap. I'm like, geez, man, his dad needs to buy him a new bike. And he, you had pull two of horse trailer, you in the horse trailer, you pulled them out of the horse trailer. Right. And, uh, and, and I walk by and here you are, you got both bikes laid over and you're taking like the cover that one cover, it was a CR85. You're taking the yeah, probably. You're taking the cover off one bike to put it on another because there's there's no more place to put JB Weld on the other cover, <laughs> right? And and I, and I was like, you know what, this kid's got it going on, right? And then you know, I walk over and Brody's got two brand new bikes there, and I'm like, goes a quarter of the speed of what Keelan's going at the time, right? And I'm like, I'm doing it wrong, like I'm doing it wrong, and I and so you know, and then. I remember you telling me, I remember you telling me like two weeks after that, he goes, yeah, my dad had a few beers and I think I got him convinced to buy me a new bike and but it never happened. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't get enough beer in him, right? Yeah. But, yeah. but uh, I mean, and, and again, not taking away from your dad because, yeah. you know, he supported you like through it all, right? Yeah. And, uh, and I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with trying to give your kid the best equipment or trying to set him up the best you can. Right. But yeah, at a point you don't need all that extra stuff, right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. there's not yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I just yeah, I feel like it makes it it makes it it puts pressure on other families that can't yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah, right. And 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 because uh, because then their kids come yeah they're being like right. oh well little Tommy has this and why why yeah. can't beat him because I don't have that. Yeah, and yeah. I think and Brody it, never said that to me ever. But that, yeah, but that, right. yeah, that's, that's yeah. just, that's not the case, but yeah. it is, I think it is an issue, but yeah, yeah there's nothing wrong with wanting to give your mm -hmm. kid the best of the best. No, no. Cause it, it feels yeah. good when yeah. you, it's just, you pull out a right. FMF fatty and you put it on their, <laughs> yeah, their yeah. 50. Like, yeah. It, but it, if the problem with that is like when the kid gets good, when the kid gets good and he gets on a 125 or 250, sometimes the parents have spent too much money on the other stuff. They've spent too much money on the fifties and sixties and. And all the gear and then they're out of it right yeah. they're tapped right the bank's knocking on the yeah, door or, or the kid gets on he has the works then he gets on something bigger yeah. bikes and then he's struggling trying to figure out how right. to make it work on the track right. and he's not accountable there's yeah. but right. i don't know it's i think that's just the journey that yeah people try to no. figure out along the way is what's the right way of doing yeah. it uh, but uh yeah there, there are some things there like to go back to your original questions there, there's some things i regret and and uh I'm not angry about it. I'm not pissed about it, but you know, um, I'd, uh, I'd sure take a few things back for sure. Yeah. And, uh, but it's funny, you know, through all of that stuff, 
through all the phases of racing. Um, through all the phases of racing, the thing that impressed me the most was the level of commitment from the people that looked after that track. Yeah. I think when I think of a proud thing is the people who, and continue to do it to this day, whoever's on the board now, um, and whoever's on the board 15, 20 years ago, right? They, uh, I'm proud of that. I'm proud that there's that community there, right? Yeah. That's the positive part of the sport. Yeah. That's great. Is, uh, you know, and the, when somebody's bike breaks down and other people try to help them. Yeah. Or somebody gets hurt and they're hollering them off the track and that's what, you know, yeah. helping each other out. And I think even just sitting here having this conversation too, like I have, like sitting back and thinking about it, I have more of a, an appreciation for that facility. Yeah. Just, yeah, when you, you put it to light that there is this band of people behind it that, that have put, yeah, put hard hours in to, to make it what it is. Yeah. It's like, and, yeah. and, and to look at every aspect of it, that it is a place that provides a community and, and yeah. an escape and, yeah. and a training grounds to, to better yourself, not as an athlete, but a, as a person. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. It's, uh, it, uh, yeah, I have a massive appreciation for it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think that's what drew me there. That's what drew me there the most. You know, and uh, I, I hope I, I hope that it's there forever. I do. Um, you know, people say, "Oh, nothing lasts forever." Well, nothing lasts forever in its current form. But yeah. if you're willing to willing yeah. to change things up on a regular basis, then you know, the basis will be there forever. So there you go. Is there anything you want to ask us? Put us on the spot? Yeah, I, I, I guess, you know what? I guess, um, what do you guys want to do? What do you guys want to do? Ride their bikes. What do you want to do? <laughs> what do you want to do after all this conversation? What do you want to do to, to continue to make racing viable and um, realistic? I've got a crazy idea that I've had in my head for a few days, but I'm I'm not gonna bring it up because uh, then I'm then I'm held to it, and it's a pretty intense thing. So I can't. No, we can cut it out. I can't bring it. Don't bring it up. Don't bring it up. To keep it to your chest, right? That's yours. I can bring it. I guess we can cut it. But yeah. So I had this idea to race the whole national series next year, and then ride my road bike from Walton home. And try and raise money for mental health and concussion awareness. Dude, why do you not want to bring that up? Yeah. I, why do you want to like, cut that up? I don't know. Up? I'm still figuring out if I can do this. See, that's something right there. That's something right there that I could probably get people to stand behind. Yeah, I know. I thought of it. I've oh, been yeah. thinking about this. I have. I would do that too. I have. Yeah, I was going to ask you about it, but I haven't been able to. The, the bent road ride. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> I haven't been able to get this thought out of my head for the past couple of days. And I'm just like, this is a crazy idea. That would be gnarly. And it's like, I'm trying to think of like how I can prep for it. Without giving up any of my like, I want to. I want to still be in top moto form. Yeah. But I don't want to give up. Like, I but don't I guess wanna, if you do it at the end of the season. Yeah, you do it at the end. Of the, I was gonna do it like the day after Walton ride home and try and yeah, raise yeah, some money, yeah. raise some money for mental health. That's cool. Yeah, 
That so is I, cool. That, I thought it was a good idea, a but it's a idea. it's a heavy task. It's thirty five hundred kilometers. I only cycled like. Two. And you gotta go. Well, you could go through the states, I guess. I would probably. It's like an extra five hundred k to go through Canada. Yeah, it is. Dang. Yeah, because it's like an extra two hours. I was thinking, vehicle, right? so I already worked it out. I figure if you go, if you go one hundred and sixty kilometers a day, which is pretty easy, you can do that. If I if you do it ten hour days, it's super easy to do two hundred k. It yeah, two hundred k. See, day. that's that's uh, that's taken outside the box. That's what I've been yeah, thinking. That's, that's what like, I've been thinking the last. That's few TV days. coverage stuff, buddy. Yeah. You know, there was a guy. There was a guy in car, an, an older gentleman in Cochrane. I think he's like sixty-five, and he he had some ran some ridiculous amount of marathons in a year for a fundraiser, and I mean the news were all over that. I have, how what year was this? It was just recently. Yeah, uh, there was this guy as Eddie Izzard. He ran twenty-seven marathons in twenty-seven days, and he's not even an athlete. He's just like a stand-up comedian, and he yeah. went and did it. So I'm like, well, well this guy can do this. What's a there's that. Uh... There's like some musician that did something wild, like ah, his name's on the tip of my tongue, but he walked from New York all the way to like LA. Oh, yeah. um, what's his name? Mike Posner or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He did it. He just yeah. walked. Yeah, just walked. Yeah. Why would? You, why do you want to keep that to your chest? Well, because I just I don't want to say I like I don't know if I can if it's feasible to do it. Like he I've been talking to some people. Doesn't even know if he's going racing. Well, yeah, I'm trying to. I, I want to go racing. I like 100 percent want to go racing, but I don't know if it's possible yet i'm trying like i'm so what well, he he needs a an angel investor <laughs> i uh, a guy with lots of money to help him go racing I, I, yeah I... that's something that <laughs> could go full circle though like if i'm committed to doing something like that you know it could help me out both ways right like i want to like i'm not just doing it to grab attention for myself it's uh, i want to bring attention to mental illness and that's something and like and concussions and that's something that i've struggled with over the years so that's something not near and dear to me so I, that's something i want to give back to i think that is awesome yeah that'd be a and that's personal i think that's i think that, right. yeah we said it on the pod we're doing it brings a bit of a it's, tear to my it's a done deal cut it out <laughs> right. but I, but you know to go back to my original question i guess bluntly bluntly when do you say i can't get the level of support that i need so i need to step away yeah when is that what What's the magic formula there? I don't know. Um, that's a tough one. I feel like, like I know uh, I'm at a point where I had a year where I had a lot of resources and a lot of things that I got to experience where I was like, man, this is what I've been missing. And, and I would hate to take a step backwards from that. Yeah. Because I know how much a lot of that stuff that I never had in the past contributed to some successes and some small victories. And it'd be really hard to take a step back or even just, or it'd even just be hard to attain that stuff on, yeah. on a privateer level. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just at the point where I just want to, have a steady rate up. I don't want to do this. Right. And then do that. I just want to keep going. Right. And primarily because I feel like I deserve it. But on another note, like the sport really doesn't owe me anything. I'm just another racer. So, but for me personally, like that's, I just, 
I want to, I want to keep going, but there's not really anything there right now that I know of. Like the, the phone hasn't rang and they're... right. But, uh, it's, that's, that's just something that kind of constantly plays, plays with your mind. It's right. like, I, I think about it every day. It's like, man, do I, do I take a step back here and maybe start focusing on weaning into my parents' business or, do I just call these guys relentlessly or call everybody relentlessly? Like it's, which is something I've been doing to the point where it's borderline, like annoying or, well, it's definitely past that, but, um, I don't know. That's, that's a tough one to answer. Cause like I've always said to myself for the better part of 10 years is that I don't want to be 50 years old being like, man, like, I had this talent and yeah. I, I gave up too soon. Like yeah. I should have just made a few extra right. calls or I should have just spent a little bit more of my own money or whatever. It's right. like, yeah, that's, that's a, I, I think that's feeling. a very, but it's, very difficult question. But the answer. thought is there with you guys. Like it's there. Oh yeah. Oh, like that, you know, what, when do I, if I'm not going to get support, what level of my own, debt am i going to incur yeah to to continue to chase this yeah like right? i threw 20 grand at it this year and it, i got no results i got nothing out of it but I, I still feel like there's that quote i didn't come this far just to come this far like i've put so much into it over the years and right i still i know in my gut that i can i can do it and i i just don't want to i can't walk away leaving it on the table right it's uh it's a difficult thing because this is like this it's not just a sport you go and play on the weekends or whatever. It's something you devote your whole life to. Right. So you guys don't think like, do you think you would ever be comfortable or happy to just be a guy that, Hey, I got a bike in the garage. I work full time now and I got to go race the super Saturday series for another 10 years. Or when you're done, are you done? Uh, I kind of go back and forth on this one. Like, me and my wife have quite a few discussions about this. I'm like, ah, I don't know. Like, I kind of gave up racing in 20, 2016, but that, like, I was suffering from some concussion symptoms, yeah. and I just what like, like, I just need the, the goal. I just need the goal. I need to be chasing something. Right. And I just, I was, I'm getting bored at the track if I'm not going and we're there with a purpose. So, I mean. I'm sure a lot of racers feel this way. Like you see Ryan Dungey, you didn't really see him for a couple of years after his racing. Now he's bought Geico Honda. So, um, right. I think maybe after a couple of years of sitting in it, you maybe be able to go enjoy it more after you're done racing. But uh, yeah, it's it's a tough one. Because I think it's, I guess you don't want to create that negative vibe in yourself. Yeah. To think about the end. Yeah. Right. But when you look like. You know, the, one of the reasons I think you guys had me here was to talk about business of racing. And I, the way I'm wired is, okay, this is fun. I love what I'm doing, but I'm bleeding money. Yeah. Right? Mm. Okay. What am I going to do? Am I going to let all this running money run out? Or am I going to let the money run out and incur some debt to keep doing it? Um, then it, I start to think, ah, you know, the, the risk versus reward thing, right? 
um, from a money perspective. Yeah. I don't even need to get into the whole other part of that statement. But, you know, that to me is a question every athlete has to ask themselves, right? Is what are my, what are my goal? What are my timelines and my yeah. goals? Right. Oh, I guess that's. And, and I, and this is, and it all comes back full circle to why these teams don't have their, their ducks in a row to help guys like you make these decisions. Right. Well, it's, yeah. It, when it's a privateer ordeal, it's, it's kind of like gambling. Like you're, yeah. you're, uh, you're, yeah sitting there and you're not really sure which way it's going to go. Yeah. You can invest all this money and then all of a sudden you get hurt at the first round. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I look at it now like a business and, and, and I credit a lot of that, uh, to you and with, uh, mentoring me over the years and, and some other people I've met in the industry and also people outside of the industry. But, uh, it's like, just yeah with how I, I was raised and, and and how i was uh educated over the years i i don't i don't want to spend my own money on uh on uh on racing and i was also pretty empathetic of my parents where i didn't want them to spend money on racing either and right. i kind of put a timeline on it myself because i know for a fact like if i went to my dad today and said hey like i want to go racing next year he'd be like okay, what kind of rig should I buy? Like, <laughs> yeah, he'd be yeah. all in. He loves yeah. it just as much. And as by I the do. way, you got to work 20 hours a day for me when you're home. Yeah. And exactly. I don't want to hear any complaining about it. Yeah, you hold and it I'm trying to head. get the clock changed so it's 30 hours a day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Trying exactly. to adapt a new day. That's right. We're going to add another day to the Randy Bethan schedule. <laughs> yeah. when Keelan's home. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I just like kind of got to the point where I put, I put a timeline on it. I was like, I can't even remember what year it was. Actually, it was, yeah, 2017. I was like, if if I don't get on a team, like, I'm just done. This is stupid. And, um, but that winter, I, like, called basically everybody, almost right. every single team, at least the ones that I felt like I – I was worthy of being on because I also believe I don't really want to call somebody if I just don't feel like I'm worthy. You I don't, don't have I don't, the like the leverage or the yeah. you're not selling them something valuable enough. Yeah, like I, I don't want to waste their time yeah, either. Right. Like it, uh, if I feel like I can align myself with with that team and I can provide some sort of positive value, like either being an underdog and they can hone me and make me a better racer. Like I look at it that way, but I'm not gonna call like a like a factory ktm or something a guy that's can't even bear or barely cracks a top 10 like mm-hmm. i'm not going to call factory ktm yeah. and say yo give me a red bull helmet <laughs> yeah. yeah um but yeah that was just kind of like where i where i was at and like i told my parents i was like like i i gotta figure this out on my own and if yeah. i can't then it's i guess that's it and yeah and i met uh like I met uh, Brent Carlson, who has been a, like that. That guy turned my career around, and that's just another guy, another team owner who just has a massive passion for the sport. sport just right. loves it and loves seeing people progress, and right. that's his hobby. Like he just likes helping guys out that yeah. he feels deserves it. But uh, yeah, like I, 
I I owe everything to that guy for where I'm at now and and the point I'm at in my career. So like sadly, yeah, there's no contract signed, but I mean, if if there is anything I could like let's say I'm 50 years old sitting in my rocking chair and yeah. two broken hips and whatever. Yeah. That is one thing I look back on and say like, man, like, like that is, that is one guy that I am like forever in a debt of gratitude towards. And if there's any guy that I want to be like, it would be like him. Like I want to, I want to be 45 years old, 50 years old one day with a ton of money and show up to the track and see a kid that I see something in and be like, like, Hey man, like, I'm going to give you a shot. Like that, awesome feeling. That's what I want to do. Like that, like Brent's inspired me to the point where, cause I know what it did for me. And now I'm like, that's what I want to do. I even, I like, man, if I had enough money right now, I would do it. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's. Yeah. Giving back can, uh, can be a good thing, you know? And I think, uh, I, um, I'm impressed that you think that way that, uh, you know, that's, um, that's a good place to, it's a good thing to wrap your head around. Right. Yeah. And it's like, good. honestly that like going, yeah. having that opportunity with him, like I look at it as like life changing, right. like it literally changed my perspective on so many things. It changed right. my perspective on my relationship with my family, my relationship with my girlfriend, yeah. how I view the industry, how I view business, how I view business relationships instead of like, because going through, I guess, leading up to that point before I had met Brent and and the people that kind of introduced me to him, like, yeah, the sport is, it can be a vicious, vicious bitch. And like, I didn't yeah. trust anybody yeah. because of situations I had been through. I'd yeah. been s- screwed by some sponsors and stuff and people that had promised me big things. And, and so I was just like, it was just like it for a while it seemed like a cruel sport but at the same time that that could be on me and how i was handling that yeah but once i met brent it was like it it was almost like 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 a dog that was abused and put in the pound there it's just like they're they're abused and they think everybody's abusive yeah they get their yeah they get their new owner they show the new owner shows them some love they're kind of like yeah a little iffy about it at first but then they kind of learned to open up that's kind of how i was with brent i was like like oh man this guy says he's gonna help me out with all this stuff i don't know yeah and then everything he promised me he went beyond yeah and i was just like man like that's an awesome like that's that's cool like yeah under promised over delivered and it's like i was like but beyond just the financial side of things like just that relationship and what he's taught me and and what I've learned from how he manages people and right. and and his his personal businesses and stuff like that. It's like it's like, man, just Yeah. That like I've learned so much just from having that one relationship in, in racing more than a yeah. lot of things I've yeah. learned over the yeah. course of my life. Yeah. No. But yeah. I think without without solid mentors in our life it's a, it's, it's sad. You know, some people, I mean, I've been, I've been fortunate to have a, a, a bunch of people that I can call mentors to myself that, um, and a, and a guy right now who, who he's going to retire right away. And 
And, uh, you know, I get a little teary. I'd, I want to think about it because I'm going to miss him. I know he's only a phone call away or whatever, right? But I looked up, I looked up to his style and his approach for, for a long, long time, mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, you know, he was never a guy that said, you know, hey, Phil, you know, don't do this or don't do that. He's just like, why don't you try it this way, <laughs> right? Why don't you try it, this approach? Uh, I've done this in the past and it's helped me. Or, hey, I'm seeing you going down the same path that I made a bunch of mistakes on. So why don't you just steer it to the left a little, right? I mean, and that, that's great. You have a relationship with that guy. And guys like that are great for the sport, not just yourself, yeah. they're for everybody, right? Yeah. So yeah. needs more of those guys. Yeah, you do. Like that's it's almost, it's kind of sad that like, or it's not sad, but it's like, I almost wish he was a little more in the limelight because it's guys like him that people need to use as an example. Wow. Like it's team owners like him that yeah, people right. need to be like, like, man, it's guys like that that make our sport great. Yeah, but guys and, like that don't, like, shoot for the spotlight, right? No, no and that's what's right. cool about him is he, yeah. he just loves the sport. Yeah. But yeah. then it's – I think everybody else looks at other team owners like they're these big, like, big businessmen with nah. broad shoulders yeah. and they're hard to approach right. and whatever. Yeah. And it's like maybe they are, maybe they're not. But it's like, right. man, if a guy like Brent was, like – if he was, like, like the flagship for our sport and and the guys that yeah. are helping run the industry like yeah that, yeah i think we'd be in a better place yeah but for sure never know so um i guess we're gonna wrap this up are you ready for bed i'm getting there but i got one more thing i'm gonna say we've all heard the term people say you know the two the two definites in life are death and taxes right death and taxes death and taxes death and taxes um i have a mentor of mine who is in his mid 80s um and uh uh continues to give solid advice to people he says it's death and taxes and there's change and those are the three definites in life if you want to live really solid healthy good life embrace change because the life, the world is moving so fast now and things are changing so fast that if you don't change with it, you'll get left behind, right? Whether it's at your shop or whether it's at, in, a, in a trucking business, if you don't adapt and, and have a different view of things on a regular basis, uh, you're going to get left out in the cold, you know? And the world I find is becoming, you know, we've always heard the term, oh, you're only as good as your last game, but the world, excuse me, the world is becoming a harder place where what you did yesterday before the end of the day is over, people have forgotten about it sometimes, right? Yeah, yeah you know, like, yeah, you know, sure. you know, you could do this great thing and a couple months later, like, people barely remember it. So you got to stay on top of things and you got to, you got to, uh, I mean, I drive an electric car. Always drove a diesel truck. Now I drive an electric car. So, you know, um, I'm trying to keep up. And as I get older, I think, uh, geez, what else is coming? And I'm not scared about it now. I'm excited about it. Embrace it. Yeah. I'm excited to see, like, you know, how long is it going to be before everybody's, like, plugging in their car, right? Are we ever going to see, like, a hover car? <laughs> right? You know? Hey? Like, I mean, you can't know, tell if you're a hippie or a liberal. 
I'm not a liberal. <laughs> uh, not a liberal. I, uh, I, uh, anyways, though, so, uh, this is not a political podcast. It's not a political podcast. Good, because I wouldn't have found it was. Um, but thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, great conversation. It's awesome. Awesome.